0: Earlier this morning, I was watching uh, the Church of the Rock, and the pastor there introduced his sermon by saying that he hadn't spoken to his mother in two years, and then he followed it up by saying that he wasn't estranged with his mother. In fact, it was just that he was being respectful to his mother, that he he didn't believe in talking while she was speaking. (laughs) And so I thought about that for a second, and I thought, I would better not share that story. (laughs) I'm just relaying the story. Happy Mother's Day, Mom, by the way. (laughs) It is a, a special day that we have each year to be able to honor our mothers and to honor the position and the importance of motherhood. And I believe that it's an important day on our church calendar that we take time each year to do this. The incredible thing about motherhood is that once you become a mother, it is a badge of honor that you carry with you your entire life. Once you become a mom, you never stop becoming a mom. No matter how old you become or how grown up your children may appear, you will always be their mom. That will never change. And so whether you are just a brand new mom or whether you have been a mother for many years... Uh, it is a truly a privilege, and you never lose that position of influence in your children's lives. Your, your example and your teaching and your faithfulness is going to go with them, whether they are adults or whether they are very young. And so we honor you here today for that reason. And so today we want to continue in our series, Green and Growing, and today we are looking at part two, the importance of a godly mother. And so I would invite you to bow with me as we open this uh, study and prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you again that it was out of your mind that you crafted a mother. It was out of your heart that you put the unique abilities to love and to nurture within her. That even as you formed the first mother, Eve, Lord, it was out of your heart and mind that she came to be. And so we thank you today for the beautiful gift of a mother. We thank you today for the mothers in this church family. And we pray, Lord, that in their unique situations and in the day-to-day, sometimes grind of motherhood, I pray, Lord, that you would be there, that you would be a constant companion, a source of strength and joy, a source, Lord, of of consolation in times of, of difficulty. And, Lord, that you would continue to, day by day, give wisdom and give the ability to pass along the faith into their own children to be able to pass along the lessons of godliness and of character. And I pray, Lord, that through this all, you would uphold our mothers and our congregation, for we know how incredibly important they are to the advancing of your kingdom. And so we pray this morning, Lord, that as we study your word, that you will encourage the mothers here, and also encourage us as fathers and husbands, Lord, in supporting them in this all-important role. And we pray, Lord, that as we do this this morning, you will build up your church build up our families, and Lord, as a result, build up our children, that they would grow to love you and to serve you with their lives. And so we ask that you would bless this word in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the story that I chose to begin with for my sermon this morning is one that was taken from a Thanksgiving uh, Sunday school class. It was on Thanksgiving Sunday, and a teacher was describing to her kindergarten class the hardships that the pilgrims had faced during their first winter in the New World. And she especially emphasized the severe shortages of food and clothing and medicine. And so in the middle of her story, a little boy raised his hand and exclaimed, Too bad my mummy wasn't there. She always knows what to do. And isn't that the truth? Mother always seems to know just what to do. And I can tell you from personal experience that when I was a five-year-old, From that perspective of a five-year-old child, I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that mom could take care of absolutely any problem, great or small. And now from the vantage point of a 31-year-old husband, I know that it's true. (laughs) There is something about the position of a mother that inspires a sense of confidence in those who are under her care. Take just this past week, for example. Our entire family was sick, except for Theodore, so we thank the Lord for small mercies. But Declan had a dry, wheezy cough, I had strep throat, and Leanne had a chest infection. But I want to ask you guess who still kept the kitchen clean and meals prepared? Guess who still made food for our ministerial farewell supper and organized the preparations? Guess who still made our church bulletins? Guess who still got up multiple times a night to feed the little baby? Guess who still took care of the big baby stretched out on the couch? (laughs) And finally, guess who made the appointment to get us to the doctor so that I could be diagnosed with strep throat, given medicine so that I could get better, so that I could still preach here this Sunday? Now, if you guessed me, then you might need to go see the doctor too. But if you guessed Leanne, then you are absolutely correct. And I'm not ashamed to admit here today that I would not be standing before you this Sunday or any other Sunday for that matter, if it were not for the direct influence of two women in my life. My own mother and my wife. It was my own mom who was not only the first one to teach me the stories of the Bible. But she was also my school teacher for 12 years, believe it or not. <laughs> it's hard to believe. And my wife, who is my confidant, my encourager, my support, and the mother of our children. And so today I honor both of you. And I honor both of you along with all of the mothers present here today. Because we know how incredibly important a mother's loving nurture instruction and care is for growing children into mature, responsible adults who love the Lord and serve Him. And though quite often your job goes mostly unnoticed and unsung, the Christian faith has always recognized the incredible importance and responsibility that a Christian mother has in shaping the next generation to love and to serve the Lord. A man by the name of Lord Shaftesbury, a courageous British politician of the 1840s. He was the man who helped stop the practice of young children working in factories. Those even under the age of nine would be working in factories. And he worked diligently to root out this practice in Britain. And then later on in his career, he was also one of the first ones to speak out against slavery. A courageous man a reformer in a time where it was not popular to do so. And he once made this impassioned speech in the British House of Commons in the 1840s. Listen to what he said. "'The future hopes of a country must, under God, be laid in the character and condition of its children. However right it may be to attempt, it is almost fruitless to expect the reformation of its adults. As the sapling has been bent, so will it grow.' He didn't put much stock in reforming adults. Uh, What does that say for us? I think we better look in the mirror. But he put a whole lot of stock and emphasis in the instruction and nurture of children. And this is what he says, uh, continuing on in the speech, of who is the most important person, the most important factor in shaping the character and condition of the children. This is what he said. Give me a generation of Christian mothers, and I will undertake to change the whole face of society In 12 months. Give me one generation of Christian mothers, and I believe I could change society in 12 months. That is a powerful statement, a powerful statement on the importance of a Christian mother. And so, mothers, today I want to also help encourage and equip you in this all important task from a very interesting story uh, taken from Matthew chapter 20. And verses 20 to 23. It's the story of who we're going to refer to this morning as Mrs. Zebedee. We're not actually given her actual name, but we know that she is the mother of the two disciples of Jesus, James and John, and her husband's name was Zebedee. And so today we are going to go by the name of Mrs. Zebedee to refer to the mother of the two disciples, James and John, from the account in Matthew chapter 20. If you want to turn there, we're going to be looking a little bit more closely at this story. Let's begin reading in verse 20. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons, and kneeling down, asked a favor of him. What is it you want, he asked, and she said, Grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I am going to drink? We can, they answered. And Jesus said to them, You will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. Now, we know that Mrs. Zebedee spent at least some time following Jesus in his ministry. And she was, of course, in following him, quite aware of his teachings about the coming kingdom. She was also very aware of the fact that her sons, James and John, were close to him. In fact, they made up two-thirds of the three-man inner circle of Peter, James, and John. So she knew that her sons were important in Jesus' circle, in his ministry. And so she was also quite certain that in this inner circle... That when the Lord formed his kingdom, her sons would have positions of honor and authority. But in the first part of this same chapter of Matthew chapter 20, Jesus had just told a story that must have disturbed her. The story, if you go back to the beginning of chapter 20 of Matthew... I'll give you a, a quick overview of this story. He tells a parable about a landowner who went out to find laborers to work in his vineyard early in the morning. They agreed upon a fair day's wage and started working. Then at noon he went out and found some more, and they started working as well. Towards evening he went out and found some more, and they started working. Yet at the end of the day, the master of the vineyard paid them all the exact same wage. Now having heard this story... It seems that it must have caused Mrs. Zebedee to begin wondering, will my sons really have positions of honor and authority in the Lord's new kingdom if those who are Johnny-come-latelys are given the same wage as those who have come first and are in the inner circle, which was, of course, her sons. And so she's beginning to, you can see a seed of a thought, a doubt being planted, that maybe some late comer is going to get the position of honor at Jesus' right and left hands. And so being concerned that her son should be properly honored as the first and foremost disciples of Jesus Christ, she makes her request of Jesus. Lord, when you come into your kingdom, may my sons have your right and left hand. From this story, I want to draw out a few lessons for us this morning. There is some good and some bad. The first lesson I want to draw out for you is a negative lesson. And it is this. Resist the desire to overprotect your children. Resist the desire to overprotect them. You see, as we consider the example of Mrs. Zebedee, it's easy to see that she is here in the overprotective mode of a mother. She is overly concerned that her sons would be given the fair shake that she was sure that they deserved. And it's equally easy to picture, you know, I think the the men in the congregation here can appreciate this the most of anyone, as we picture the glowing red faces of James and John having to later explain to the other guys why their mom was petitioning Jesus for special favors. And this actually happened, because skip ahead to verse 24, and this is what we read. When the other ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Indignant. How dare they have their mom petitioning Jesus for special favors. And can you imagine them sheepishly saying, Yeah, you know, it's our mom. We can't really say what she does or doesn't do. And, you know, this reminds me of a story that the renowned family psychologist Kevin Lehman once said in one of his family seminars. He he said that after his family seminar talking about children and parenting and all these sorts of things, he says almost without fail, after every talk he's given, there's always a mother who lingers afterwards, takes him aside, and then says in a hushed tone, Dr. Lehman, I have a gifted child. What special advice would you have for me? And to which he would reply with something like, Well, I certainly hope that you have a gifted child, because every child is a gift, and every child is gifted at something. And of course, what the mother was really getting at is that her child was extra gifted as every mother loves to believe that her child is extra special, extra gifted, and so I needed some extra special advice from Dr. Lehman. And so, of course, as we recognize this desire of any parent to want their child to excel, it is a natural desire. It is innately wired, I believe, into every parent to want to see their child be the best that they can possibly be. However, out of this... It is also easy to go into an overprotective mode. We had referenced earlier this morning the picture of the mother bear, not just being for bears and so here we see Mrs. Zebedee going into full mother bear mode. She is fighting for her for her son's rights, and so often it is easy for for parents and especially I believe mothers to fight for their children and sometimes Go overboard with this, which can often even be to a child's detriment. Whether it's thinking that your child deserves more playing time on the sports team, or to be given better grades at school, or given more praise for whatever it is that they happen to be doing, as hard as it is, resist that urge to overprotect your children. Because if you don't, you may actually be doing them more harm than good. You know, when I ran track and field as a kid, There was first, second, and third place ribbons, and that was it. And now I see track and field events, and they've got participation ribbons going from first place right down to 12th, 13th, 14th. Everyone's got ribbons. Everyone's a winner. Now, I don't know if you've experienced these sort of things, but, you know, when we're teaching kids sort of a false impression of the way the world really works by by doing these sorts of things, what happens if we don't equip them for failure? What happens if their whole childhood has been so protected and so cushioned that when they enter the real world as an adult, they haven't been equipped to deal properly in a healthy way with those inevitable bumps and bruises and failures that are going to come in life? You see... If we as parents send our children out into the world not equipped to deal with failure, we have actually done them a disservice. And here we see Mrs. Zebedee in full mother bear mode fighting for her grown son's rights, wanting to make certain that they were elevated even above the other ten disciples, including Peter. Now, we don't know whether she initiated this request or whether, in fact, her sons did. But in either case... What would have been a better thing for her to do, would have been a far greater lesson for her sons, would have been to remind them to be patient and humble, to keep serving Jesus well, and trust that he would reward them accordingly. And so learn the cautionary lesson from Mrs. Zebedee, and resist the desire to overprotect your children. Now, this may be the negative lesson, but now let's move on to some positive lessons from Mrs. Zebedee. The second lesson is that she desired that her sons might be a part of God's kingdom. And I believe this is a godly desire. This is a good desire. That even though her behavior and how she went about this may have been overly zealous, the desire that her sons might be a part of God's kingdom was a good desire. You know, I can think of no more important task of a mother than to help lead her children into the kingdom of God through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But in the midst of all of the sometimes hectic demands and challenges of motherhood, it can often seem a daunting thing to know just how to nurture a love for God into your children, when you've also got to be the chief cook, bottle washer, disciplinarian, and so many of the other things along life's way. Dr. James Dobson once shared the story about a time when he came home after a busy day of work, His son Ryan was a small baby, and it had been an absolutely terrible day for his wife. Ryan had been sick, he had cried all day long, they hadn't had a wink of sleep the night before, and then to top it off, as she was changing his diapers, the telephone rang and Shirley had reached over to answer it before fastening up the diaper properly, and just then Ryan had had an ultra-explosive attack of the runs, and the mess was everywhere, and She had just finished cleaning up that mess and put him in a clean uh, diaper and new clothes and she had taken him into the living room to feed him and just as she had finished feeding him, he had thrown up all over himself and her in the process and the couch and on the floor and it was just then as Mr. Dobson had walked through the door. He gives some pause here and then says, he opened the door and the smell and the aroma of motherhood punched him in the face. (laughs) He walked into the living room to see the mess that he had just walked in on, and she had looked at him and had cried out, was all of this in my contract? (laughs) Mothers, you may feel that way sometimes, and there are times where you wonder, did I really sign up for all of this? And so as we consider Mrs. Zebedee, we don't want to be too, too critical of her, we don't want to be overly harsh in her desire and the way she went about it because it's plain to see that she earnestly desired that her sons would be a part of God's kingdom. And so she had taken and made the time to prioritize that in her life. You know, being a mother has never been easy, and it wasn't for Mrs. Zebedee, and I'm pretty sure it, it isn't for any mother present here today. Balancing the countless demands is a never-ending job, but let me assure you that prioritizing your limited time and energy to teach your children about God, to teach them the stories of Jesus, to teach them of His great love is the most important investment you will ever make in their life. It's even more important than the kids having clean and matching socks, their math homework completed, music lessons mastered, teeth clean. Straightened or their education savings fund topped off. It's more important than all of those things combined. Why? It's simple. What good is it if our children are successful in making money, in driving nice vehicles, in living in good neighborhoods, but they don't know God? What does it matter if our children gain the whole world but lose their own souls? You see, being a parent has never been easy. It is difficult, but Mrs. Zebedee gives us a valuable example, for she desired earnestly that her sons would be a part of God's kingdom, and she made this her goal and her top priority. Now, I could be wrong, but when God examines someday how we did as parents and how you did as a mother, I don't think he's going to ask you, why didn't you have them involved in more activities? Why didn't you buy them nicer clothes and more toys? No, I think what he's going to ask you is, why didn't you teach them more about my wonderful love and grace? Why didn't you show them that following Jesus is the most important thing that they could ever do with their lives? And so, as we consider eternity and the, the priorities of life, I hope that in the heart of every mother here today, and fathers as well, I hope there lies a deep burden to go to God's throne of grace, to go early and often and to pray for our children, to pray that they will be saved, to to pray that they will be saved from eternal death and saved for eternal life in this life and the next. And then not just staying there on our knees in prayer, but then going on and prioritizing the use of our, yes, limited time and energy towards their spiritual instruction And growth. And I believe this is a valuable lesson that we can learn from Mrs. Zebedee this morning. The third lesson, which stems out of this, is to then go on to show your children what service looks like. Show your children, in your example, how to serve the Lord. You see, Mrs. Zebedee desired that her sons would be an honored part of Jesus' kingdom, but she didn't truly understand the nature of the sacrifice that was required in order for that to happen. In verse 22, Jesus points this out to her when he replies, you don't know what you are asking for. Can you drink the cup I am going to drink? Now, of course, the cup that Jesus was, is referring to is the cup of suffering. The cup of suffering, which he showed in the communion table, the last supper, he said, this cup represents the new covenant written in my blood. The cup of suffering is what he would have to endure on the cross of Calvary. That his sacrifice is what would enable James and John to enter the kingdom at all. Did she really know what she was asking for? And she, being unaware of the sacrifice that was required, asked for a great honor, not understanding the ramifications. You see, Jesus' kingdom was coming. She was right in understanding that. But it would not come by man's definition of power and might and glory. But instead, Jesus' kingdom was going to be ushered in by service and sacrifice. You see, entering Jesus' kingdom does not mean a throne to rule over others and to look down on them, to dictate to them. It means a wash basin and a towel. To wash others' feet just as Jesus did. To serve others. It means self-sacrificially putting the needs of others as higher than your own. It means surrendering our own personal ambitions for our own life to the higher calling of advancing God's kingdom. And clearly Mrs. Zebedee didn't understand what the cup of suffering all entailed when she made her request. But we can rest assured that she came to a full understanding. Because remember, she was one of the four women who refused to leave Jesus in his darkest hour. And she, Mrs. Zebedee, the mother of James and John, was there at the cross of Calvary watching as Jesus died for the sins of the world, including the sins of her son, enabling all of them to be able to enter God's kingdom at all. And my friends, there is far more, far more to Jesus' kingdom than just sneaking in by the skin of our teeth and then coasting through into heaven. But sadly, churches across our country are full of people just content to fill a pew once in a while on Sunday morning. And there are plenty of people willing to sit back there and just receive the blessing and sit back and in their hearts and in their attitudes say, Serve me, feed me. But how many Christians are saying, How can I get involved in serving others? How can I serve in the work of the kingdom? How can I feed others? And in the parable that Jesus told at the beginning in Matthew chapter 20 about the kingdom of heaven being like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to come into his vineyard, I want to ask you, he compared this to the kingdom, and what did he invite people into the kingdom to do? Do you remember what the parable said? Did he invite them to come in to sample the grapes? Did he invite them in to do some wine testing, to do some sightseeing, to maybe paint some pictures, to suntan? No, what did he call them in to do? He called them in to work. He compared the vineyard to his kingdom in a direct one-to-one comparison. Then he said, come in and work in my vineyard. You see, here's what too many people are missing today. We cannot work our way into God's kingdom. That is only by grace. That is a gift of God and a gift alone. It cannot be earned or bought. We cannot work our way into God's kingdom. But once we have entered God's kingdom, those who are now on the inside, Jesus says they are required to work for the king. And today God's kingdom needs more workers. Jesus himself said, The fields are white unto harvest, so pray that the Lord of the harvest would send out more workers into his harvest field. We need more workers today, more servants willing to roll up their sleeves and engage in feeding and serving and loving. But let me ask you, where does the spirit of service begin? It begins at home. It begins with mothers and fathers setting the example and praying that their sons and daughters might also become involved in the work of the kingdom, serving in the local church and going out into the community and world and sharing the incredible love of God with others. But before a child can share any of that with others, before a child can learn to love others, even as they would love themselves, to love others sacrificially, a child needs to first learn that from someone else. They need to receive it from someone else. They need to see it modeled consistently from someone else. And who better than their own parents? Who better than you, their own mother? And I firmly believe today that a Christian mother's love for her child cultivates the soil of the heart. It prepares that soil at a tender and young age for that child to be ready to receive the love of Jesus Christ. What a precious role that a mother has in the life of a young child, and it all begins in the home. And so today, as we recognize that a mother's love is one of the closest examples we have to the love of God our Father, we recognize that it is a love that goes through the valley of the shadow of death, willing to even lay down its own life so that her children could live. And Jesus often gave the, the example of his father being like a mother hen willing that the chicks should come underneath and find shelter and safety. And this is the picture of God, and he has placed this love in a mother's heart that she would gladly, willingly give her own life if only her children could live. This is the love of God placed into a mother's heart to lay down, even as Jesus did, his own life so that many could live. That is what we are all called to do, and mothers, you, above all, we honor for that type of love today. I want to share you, share with you this closing story. The story is taken out of a difficult period of history, World War II and the Holocaust. We all know the history that Adolf Hitler and the Nazi regime took the lives of millions of people. And within the vast scope of the millions, there are personal stories, and this is one of them. Solomon Rosenberg and his family. A true story, of course. Solomon Rosenberg and his wife and their two sons and his mother and father were arrested and placed in a concentration camp. It was a labor camp, and the rules were simple. As long as you can work, you can live. When you become too weak to work, you are exterminated. Rosenberg watched his mother and father, unable to work, marched off to their deaths. And he knew that next would be his youngest son, David, because David was a frail child. Every evening, Rosenberg came back into the barracks after his hours of labor and searched for the faces of his family. When he found them, they would be huddled together, embracing one another and thanking God for another day of life. Each time he saw them huddled all together, he would whisper a silent prayer of thanks. One day, Rosenberg came back and didn't see those familiar faces. He finally discovered his oldest son, Joshua, in a corner bunk, huddled, weeping, and praying. He said, "'Josh, tell me if it's not true.' And Joshua turned and said, "'It's true, Papa. Today, David was not strong enough to do his work, so they came for him.' "'But where is your mother?' asked Mr. Rosenberg. "'Oh, Papa,' he said." When they came for David, he was afraid, and he cried. And Mama said, There's nothing to be afraid of, David. And she took his hand and went with him. That, my friends, is motherhood. That, my friends, is the love of God for each one of us. Mothers, today we honor you. We honor you because this sort of love that God has placed in your hearts transcends anything that this life can offer. Any challenge, even death, it can overcome. Because if you seek God's face and you love him as a mother, he will give that love into your heart for your children that you can love them even unto death to take their hand and to walk with them to whatever end. And so today, I pray that if you are here today and you have been touched in some way by the love of a mother, I want to tell you that that is something that you can say is a a love that was a gift straight from God. And today, if you have accepted and acknowledged that you have been loved by your mother in some fashion in life, I want you to look to heaven and to acknowledge that that love came from the very throne of God. And if you have been touched by that love of God today, today could maybe be the time where you say, Lord, I want to receive that love for myself. Today could be a day of welcoming that love, that free gift of grace into your own life. And to say, Lord God, I'm going to stop running, and I receive your love for myself. And I pray that if you have felt that you have had to walk through that valley of the shadow of death alone too many times, I pray that you will recognize that even today God is there reaching out his hand to say there's nothing to be afraid of. I will walk with you. May God bless you mothers today in the high calling of motherhood. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again and we can never thank you enough for the tremendous love that you have for us. And that, Lord, you have created your world in such a way that your love would be expressed so beautifully and so clearly through our own mothers. And today we thank you for that gift of love. We honor you because of it. And we pray, Lord, that now in return you would continue to pour out your love into the hearts of each mother present here today. That, oh Lord, we know that the love that each one of them has for their, for their children, Lord, cannot be described in words. But I pray, Lord, that it would be strengthened and sustained for whatever situation they are facing. That whether they have a child who is in, re- in rebellion, Lord, has turned away from you. We pray, Lord, that you would give a perseverance, a sort of love that would not quit. A, a love that would just be tenacious, And would never let go and would never stop coming to your throne of grace and praying and loving. And I pray, Lord, that you would anoint them with that today. I pray, Lord, that whatever stage of life, whether young or old, that you would be there to equip with wisdom and grace for each day. And we thank you, Lord, as well, for the tremendous blessing that these mothers are in building up this church family and our young children. And so we just pray, Father, that we as husbands would support and honor them, that we would love them sacrificially, even as you, O Lord Jesus, loved the church and gave yourself up for her. And so, Father, today we thank you again. We bless you. We worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.